I look down on him because I am upper class. I look up to him because he is upper class. But I look down on him because he is lower class. <laughs> I am middle class. <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> I look up to them both. But I don't look up to him as much as I look up to him. <laughs> Because he has got innate breeding. I have got innate breeding, but I have not got any money. So sometimes I look up to him. I still look up to him. Because although I have money, I am vulgar. But I'm not as vulgar as him. So I still look down on him. I know my place. I look up to them both. But while I'm poor, I'm industrious, honest, and trustworthy. Had I the inclination, I could look down on them. But I don't. We all know our place, but what do we get out of it? I get a feeling of superiority over them. I get a feeling of inferiority from him. But a feeling of superiority over him. I get a pain in the back of my neck. John Cleese, Ronnie Corbett and Ronnie Barker there from the class sketch The Frost Report 1966. Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. So why did I start this week's podcast with that classic clip of comedy, a reflection of the obsession with the social and class system within the UK? That was 1966 and today it's 2022. You'd think things had moved on, wouldn't you? But it seems as if they haven't. Over the last couple of weeks, I've seen a number of photographers labelling themselves quite proudly as working class photographers. There's nothing wrong with that in a sense. I myself, I suppose, am a working class photographer. I'm the first person from my family to ever go into any form of higher education. My father was a bricklayer. My mother was a hairdresser. I grew up, I was born in a flat with no carpets, no heating, no telephone. Does that make me working class? Well, for me, it doesn't actually matter. And yet, I saw a photographer over the last couple of weeks proclaim the issue that they were being described as an ordinary photographer, whereas other photographers who had more money than they had were being described as working class photographers. And they saw this as part of the class system attacking the very presence, her background, her work. This just does not make any sense to me. Not only does it not make any sense to have to describe yourself as a working class, a middle class or an upper class photographer today, but also why label yourself as any kind of photographer? I've never understood the need for labels and the need for photographers to apply those labels to themselves. Surely what we are are photographers. And in the current economic climate, when so many people are struggling, people with good jobs, sure, they're not struggling as hard as others, but the struggle is there across many uh, classes that currently exist, certainly within the UK, but I would suggest worldwide. So there is no reason that I can see to put a label on yourself. 
I never put a label on myself and I never intend to do so. I wish to be judged by the work and the stories that I tell, the work that I produce, whether it's this podcast, in writings or photographically, or perhaps also in my teaching. So let's try and step outside of that class system. Because every time we choose to describe ourselves as working class, surely we're fitting back in to that structure that we should be fighting against. I will not make any deals with you. I've resigned. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed or numbered. Patrick McGoohan from The Prisoner there, another harking back to the 1960s. This week, I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast Mimi Plum, born in Berkeley, California and raised in the suburbs of San Francisco. Plum received her BFA in photography from SFAI in 1976 and her MFA from the same institution just 10 years later in 1986. She has served on the faculties of the San Francisco Art Institute, San Jose State University, Stanford University in the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Since the 1970s, she has explored subjects ranging from her suburban roots to the United Farm Workers Movement in the fields as they organised for union elections. Her first book, Landfall, was published in 2018 and is a collection of her images from the 1980s. Landfall was shortlisted for the Paris Photo Aperture Foundation First Photo Book Award in 2019 and the Lucy Photo Book Prize in 2019 also. Her second book, The White Sky, a memoir of her childhood growing up in suburbia, was published in 2020. The Golden City, her third book, was published earlier this year and focuses on her many years living in San Francisco. Her photographs are in the collection of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, Art Collection Deutsche Bourse in Germany, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, and the Yale University Art Gallery, amongst others. She is a 2017 recipient of the John Gutman Photography Fellowship and has received grants and fellowships from the California Humanities, the California Arts Council, the James D. Phelan Art Award in Photography, and the Marin Arts Council. She lives in Berkeley, California. And after all of that, I think we should hear from Mimi. I use photography to record how I see the world, what's important to me, and what has meaning for me. I began photographing when I was in high school. I was about 16 years old. I was struggling to write poetry, but found the process a bit torturous. Words didn't come easily to me. When I picked up the camera, I found the process of making pictures easy and intuitive. I didn't struggle with what to photograph. I responded to what I was seeing and connected with. Wow, look at that. Beautiful or scary, whatever the emotion might be. That's what I wanted to communicate, to say this is worth noticing. The first couple of sentences in John Berger's Ways of Seeing always resonated for me. Seeing comes before words. The child looks and recognizes before it can speak. I think of my various projects that I've done throughout my life as a personal history, a diary, a very subjective document, not only about myself, but the people and places that I photographed. I taught photography for 28 years. I always asked my students to photograph what was important to them, 
Of course, easier said than done. But when they were successful, the depth and intelligence of their work inspired awe in me. It was like I could see inside of them and how they experienced the world. Diane Arvis said the camera is a kind of license to go somewhere you normally wouldn't go. That's something I've always loved about the medium. And I'll end here with these thoughts from the photographer Henry Wessel, which beautifully state how I feel about making pictures. He said, when you're photographing, you're walking through the world, something catches you, you're connecting with it, you're responding to it, you're saying yes to it. You're a free agent between your instinct, your anticipation, and your intelligence. Thank you very much, Mimi, for your contribution this week, picking up on so many threads that we've picked up on before, but in doing so, really building a firm foundation, I think, on what understanding photography really is all about. Very interesting from my perspective, her emphasis there on the importance of photographing the things that are important to you as a photographer, that idea of finding subject matter. It always surprises me, and I actually have to say more than just surprises me. I I just don't understand why there is such an emphasis on teaching photography from the perspective of the technical, of how a camera works, of a darkroom or post-production or whatever it may be. All of this other stuff, how to light something, how to work in a studio, all of that kind of generalisation to me doesn't make sense in teaching when somebody first starts to work with photography. Without subject matter, we cannot be photographers. We need something to photograph first. And it it makes so much sense that that thing that we focus on is something which is important to us. And therefore, our interests outside of photography are so much more important to our photography than our interest in photography, I believe. I believe that it's a form of documentation. We use photography to document our interests and our passions, which exist outside of photography. Now, you may completely disagree with me on that, and I'm sure some of you will. But there again, if we all didn't have different opinions, what a boring world it would be. Speaking of different opinions, I spent many years working as an interiors photographer. I've been lucky enough to work with all the major magazines and also to have a book of my interiors work and portrait work published by Thames and Hudson. My take on interiors photography, I suppose, very similar to anybody working in any area of photography. My feelings were that I should tell the story of the house. I should document the house in which I was asked to photograph which I found myself in. I stopped doing that kind of work primarily because of the clients, the magazines and so forth that were asking me to do that work, seemed to be more interested in photographing a bathroom, the bedroom and every room in the house, whether or not it was going to make a good picture or not. It seemed to me to be fitting a tick list, which I wasn't really interested in completing for the people who were asking me to do the pictures. But anyway, I recently saw a photographer asking some questions about tilt and shift and stitching of photographs together within the interiors, I suppose, genre of work. They were asking how much they should spend for this tilt-shift lens, and therefore, if they use this lens, would they have to stitch less, um, kind of spend less time stitching in post-production and so forth. 
I kind of responded to that photographer and said, well, to be honest with you, I've never stitched anything together in interiors or felt the need to use a tilt-shift lens. For me, it was all about, as in all areas of photography, trying to, trying to tell some kind of a truth of my experience of being there. And I didn't want to spend lots of time in post-production trying to make something that didn't exist. I pointed them in the direction of the great interiors photographers, Horst P. Horst and Alberto Gili, two photographers from two different ages with completely different approaches to work, but real masters of that creation of photography around the environment, the interior. I think for a lot of people, interior photography is perhaps quite shallow and only really existing in that idea of magazines. But I would argue that I think that actually it's about documenting space. And that's got to be a core element of all photography. At what point does a Jeff Wall picture become a non-interiors picture, for example? I know that Jeff Wall's images are created. They're not real spaces. But I hope you get where I'm going with that. Anyway. The photographer didn't seem to take my point of view and felt very strongly that he wasn't going to be able to get the pictures he needed to get without this intervention of either lens or post-production. Therefore, we agreed to disagree. But I think it's important to understand that too often in photography, there is a reliance on that secondary manipulation of the image over the getting it right in camera. And getting it right in camera, to me, is really important. It doesn't mean to say that we're not going to do a little bit of work to that image afterwards. But to think we're going to fix it in post because we didn't get it right in camera, to me, is crazy and actually unprofessional. If we go back to the days of analogue, had to be really careful with the amount of Polaroid of film we shot. And sure, we all bracketed maybe half a stop or a stop either side of a frame. But that was about it. And if I look back now at my analogue pictures and my contact sheets from that work, I could tell that I was getting the picture I wanted to get every time within that bracketing without any need of a tilt-shift lens or any form of manipulation. Perhaps we're all getting dragged into this idea of creating the perfect environment and that the perfect photograph is a reflection of that perfect environment for a perfect world. Well, I think we all know that nothing is perfect. So why should the photography be creating something that doesn't exist? I often talk about the idea of photo community on this podcast, and I don't want it ever to be a, a rant every week. Sometimes I do feel that there are things that need to be said, and I'm quite happy to speak out and say them. This week, that's probably been the case more than in other weeks. But you don't have to agree with my opinions. We just need to listen to each other's opinions. You might change my opinion, and you might not. But that doesn't mean to say I'm not listening to you. But that idea of community and that idea of helping and sharing has been really evident over the last couple of weeks with the amount of photographers who've been happy to contribute photographic prints for various auctions and sales in support of what's happening in the Ukraine. As I record this podcast, we're four weeks in to the Ukraine war. And I suppose in a sense, we're as 
unknowing as to what's going to be happening going forward as we were four weeks ago. The only difference now is that photography has brought so much of the atrocity into our homes. As regular listeners will know, this is not a podcast that's interested in cameras. Having said that, over the last week, I've been trying to buy a new camera. I really was looking for something, as I always am, that just fits in my pocket and I can have with me at all times and kind of build up a bit of a relationship with with it, really. I suppose that it always feels like an extension of my arm, of my hand when I'm working. It's not for a specific project. It's just to have with me at all times. So I've been looking at lots of cameras for sale at different prices. And I have to say, it is quite shocking how expensive cameras have become, particularly the kind of small compact camera that's now tipping over a thousand, thousand five hundred pounds. It's very clear to me that this isn't for the hobbyist or even for the photographer or the person who just wants a camera to take pictures occasionally of the family perhaps the phone has definitely taken over there but anyway what i found in looking at the cameras was that there is no stock available the worldwide uh shortage of chips for Uh, for cameras, which is also affecting the sale of cars, has meant that there is no stock available. So I've ended up buying a camera secondhand, a used version of a similar camera to the one I really wanted. But never mind, I'm now waiting for it to arrive and I'm excited about the options and the opportunities it's going to give me. I hope, because it's a bit of an upgrade on what I had previously for that same kind of job. But what really concerned me was the fact that if we continue in this way, whereby cameras aren't available, we're going to lose camera retailers. At the same time, I've heard shortages of glass for glaziers and wood for fences and all sorts of different stuff seems to be coming to shortage, which I suppose in a sense means we are going to be buying secondhand more and more. And perhaps that is a good thing. I don't know, but I am concerned that we lose the camera retailer as an expert. That has to be a place whereby people getting involved with photography should be able to drop in and speak to people who really know what they're talking about. There are good camera shops out there, although the majority of them tend to be independent. Most of the big chains have now gone, and that's left the independents to hopefully pick up on that that desire for people still to buy cameras. Is that the hobbyist and the professional? I suppose that's where it's going to be. But I have to say, this is the first camera I've bought in five years and only the second camera I've bought in 10 years. So it doesn't bode well, does it, for those hoping to sell a lot of cameras? Anyway, it's been a slightly strange one this week. Lots of stuff to get off my chest, I think, after a couple of weeks of focusing on other areas. Just leaves me to say, please take care.